is Cam. Welcome back to another episode of This Might Be Helpful, and I sincerely hope that it is. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for being here. I hope that you can take something away from today's conversation, something to help you grasp a little bit more of what's going on. And the irony in that statement is that today we're going to be discussing not knowing, not understanding. This is a Taoist concept called the not knowing mind. And this has been something that has been an element of many philosophies, many cultures, many religions. The kingdom of God that is within, the Tao, the way. These are concepts that when language is applied to them, they can move, lose some of their basis, some of their weight. Because every single time we categorize something and label something and fit it into a neat little box in our gray matter, we, through that definition, cut away the edges, cut away the spectrum. We isolate something that is in itself the whole. So today we're going to be pulling some concepts from the Tao Te Ching, translated into English by Stephen Miller, Stephen Mitchell, sorry. And I do recommend that you go and read this yourself. There are some free links to this translation in the show notes below. We are always redefining our perspectives. Ideally, we're always redefining them because the basis of the not knowing mind is to abandon certainty. So chapter three, he helps people lose everything they know, everything they desire, and creates confusion in those who think they know. So certainty, it's not a very advantageous state. Through its definition, ignores the possibilities. It cuts away the fat and leaves you with this gleaming nugget of gold, this way forwards, this light. But would you rather be roughly right or exactly wrong? Because that is what certainty lends itself to. You cut away all of the possibilities and you're left with faith, belief in the absence of truth, in the absence of exploration, in the absence of curiosity. Because certainty, it inhibits curiosity. It inhibits perspective. Why would you grow if you already know? In the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities, and in the expert's mind, there are few. And we've discussed this beginner's mindset before, because it is the ultimate mindset for fertile ground, for planting seeds that grow. If you have decided that you are certain on something, then you're only going to have a very select few seeds in your garden, are you not? If we can transcend the habitual state of mind, the mind that carries quick judgments on the tip of its tongue, the mind that is quick to reply and slow to listen, the mind that seeks answers instead of explanations, if we can transcend that, come to a place of radical neutrality, acceptance, openness, we are sponges, sponges for possibility. It is the open growth mindset a mind that is never satisfied with what it knows because it knows that it doesn't know. And maybe in that process of coming to know, trying to know, you do know more, but the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. And that's not something to be upset or sad about. It's something that's exciting. It's something that propels the human race forwards. It's something that propels you forwards. It's so easy to apply judgments to things when we are certain, and that judgment it comes from a place often of, of lack. Because conversely, when you are certain, it 
introduces an air of fragility, a brittle structure to the mind, something scared, something nervous. Certainty narrows your field of view. It deludes us into thinking that the seeking is over. And how dull and dreary to think that the thinking is over, to be closed off from possibility, infinite possibility, that arises from neutrality and openness. Chapter 10. Can you coax your mind from its wandering and keep to the original oneness? Moments of epiphany and clarity that when strung into words and categorized and hypothesized, they lose their meaning because we've applied our own meaning to it. When we add words, we add interpretations. We instill prescriptions, a prescription being a framework to navigate life with. And these prescriptions can come from anywhere and anyone. These prescriptions are the magic behind words, the spells that are cast with the frequencies of our voice. Like being told when you were young that you're bad at math, or that you didn't have what it took to be creative, or that you weren't a good singer, or that you'd never be an athlete. Those are all you know, dark magic prescriptions that very much cast a spell that inhibit that human potential from the very beginning. Positive prescriptions can be, you are more than your physical body. Everything that you set your heart and intention and mind upon, you will achieve. Those are positive prescriptions. These prescriptions are also the judgments that we have of the world around us. How many judgments do you have are actually your judgments, or have they come from somebody else? In these moments of epiphany and clarity that we have, these moments of transcendence where we can pull back the curtain and we see the world beyond the eye, the world beyond the ego, the universal consciousness, the source, the divine, these moments often come in the form of a feeling, in the form of an understanding that resonates within you, something that makes your heart beat, that raises the vibration of your soul. And then we try and put it into words. Write it down, we try and tell a friend, we explain as best as we can this world beyond ourselves, this divine source that it's communicated through our vessel that's always there, but it's so hard to reach. We describe it. We add visual aspects to it, emotive aspects to it, anything that describes it that allows us to categorize something that can't be categorized, define the undefinable, confine what cannot be or should not be or won't be confined. And it's all an interpretation, an interpretation of an interpretation and as soon as we add that verbal layer to whatever we experienced, it's been diluted. The original oneness of our mind has been diluted. Chapter 65. When they think that they know the answers, people are difficult to guide. When they know that they don't know, people can find their own way. The beginner's mind is fresh and fertile. It's open ground for possibilities and potentialities. Because for one to know, one also commits to not knowing. Because saying that you know excludes all that isn't that. It is a paradox of life. There are many paradoxes, but this is certainly one. To know is to not know. And to not know is to know. The admittance that you don't know shows that you know more than the people that say they do. 
The people that think they know are the people that are unable to respond to their beliefs being questioned or challenged without emotion. Because behind that veil of certainty exists what? A world that has not yet been uncovered, that has not yet been looked at, inspected. Because when they know, they've never tried to think, never thought deeply about their beliefs and the messages, the implications, the hypocrisies and paradoxes that exist within those beliefs. There's a pretty veil of certainty, ethereal and dreamy in its lack of substance, hinting at a greater truth, but ultimately impeding the vision, not clarifying it. And the light filters through that veil, softening it in sepia tones of nostalgia. But what is the light behind the curtain? Is it sunshine? Is it the divine? Is it an oncoming train? If we know, then we never seek to pull back the curtain. We never truly seek what's on the other side. And that side can only be accessed without certainty. Certainty shackles you. It adds rigidity to your bones, to your spirit. It subdues what shouldn't be subdued. Now, I'm not disregarding belief or faith here. Faith is a belief in the absence of evidence that things will work out okay work out okay even when there is no direct evidence. Things will be okay. That is my faith. My faith is that through intention I will create my purpose. Through intention I will have impact. My faith is that there will always be an upside to the downside. My faith is that my mindset carries me through life, that through challenge and turmoil I refine my character and that my troubles don't define me, they refine me. That's my faith. My certainty. I'm certain that the sun will rise tomorrow, because it would be foolish to think it wouldn't. But do I have certainty in everything that I say, in anything that I say? Certainly not, which paradoxically means that I certainly do. If we know, we never pull back the curtain. Admitting that you don't know it adds translucence to that curtain. It means that you can have greater reach, greater permeability to the world beyond yourself. But when these structures of our thoughts stand themselves between what is us and what is, then we will always be confined by the rigidity of thought that arises out of our experiences and the structural integrations of our lives. If we can disregard those, if you can pretend, if you will, for a moment that you have walked into this moment being nothing other than what is right now. No past, no beliefs, no future, no ideas, no preconceptions, no biases, no certainties. If you can walk through life with that idea, with that radical openness, what might you find? What might you come into contact with? What might you see? What doors might open for you that otherwise would have remained locked behind a key of our own making? Chapter 10, 
Can you step back from your own mind and thus understand all things? Can you step back from your mind and thus understand all things? The reality we perceive through our senses is completely subjective. There is no single decision-making framework, no single productivity hack, no single method for connecting with your divine, no single way to find yourself. We can experience the same moment and come away with completely different memories. We could walk into a cafe together, have a wonderful breakfast, and then leave. And you might have noticed the songs that were playing on the radio, the way that the light filtered in through the stained glass windows. You might have noticed the dust on the shelves. And I might have noticed the cute barista or the funny bathroom sign. The couple at the table next to us that have clearly done this a thousand times. This is their regular home. This is their regular digs. We could walk out of there having experienced the same moment completely differently. I could tell you a story, a memory, to the best of my ability, to the best of my memory, and that memory will be added to your memory bank. But they'll be very different memories because in order for this memory to land in your memory bank, it had to travel through your unique interpretive process, a process that's founded on your life experiences, on your neural pathways your unique way of seeing the world, your ability to see the silver lining in a sea of gray slate or to laugh when you feel like crying, just to see that what you are crying about is really worth laughing about, your ability to allow struggle to refine you, not define you, to accept and surrender challenge so that it may shape your character, to continue going however slowly that may be when all you want to do is stop. These are products of mind, evidence of a deliberate and conscious shaping of reality to be in one's favor, the manifestations of religion, culture, parenting, media, friendships, heartbreak, experience, the evidence of a life lived, interpreted, stored, consolidated into reactionary mechanisms that help us navigate our way through life. But what do we truly understand when this level of subjectivity is introduced. It's an omnipresent level of subjectivity. What do we truly understand? Can we see the bigger picture from inside the bigger picture? Or is every interpretation of our universe, when viewed from within the mind, just differing strokes on a single canvas that is us? To see and know and understand without interpreting that is to transcend the mind. And within the mind, we stay as one. My view, my world, my beliefs, my perceptions, my certainties. I, me, the ego. But transcending the mind, we become one when we can take a step back from the mind long enough to see that it's running a storyline and we can see that it's just a story. It's our own story. And it's part of the greater story. And that story is one that isn't written down on pages. It can't be thrown about in the impromptu verbalistics of a podcast. It cannot be described. It can be felt, though. It can be experienced in the space between two thoughts and the ephemeral landscape that manifests ideas 
Transcending the mind, we become one. Q&A. You would like to add your questions to this Q&A. You can either email me at podcast at a helpful.co or you can send me a message on Instagram. Send me some voice messages. I'd like to hear you guys' voice. Nihip asks, reason for random sadness. After all the meditation, sometimes it's still bleh. Oh, my friend. Sometimes it doesn't matter what you do. What matters is that you do the best that you can with the understanding that your best will change from day to day. I recommend having a arsenal of behavioral antidepressants at your disposal. Behavioral antidepressants are exactly what they sound like. They're, they're good habits. They are things that you can utilize when you want to shift states. Now, remember that you cannot use the mind to transcend the mind. When your mind is in a negative or a dark space, you have to use the body to intervene. That can be writing things down. Write down how you feel. Give it a name. Look at it on paper. Clarify your thoughts. Because when it's all in your head, you won't be able to see with clarity. It's too jumbled up. That's one of the behavioral antidepressants is writing things down, journaling. Another behavioral antidepressant is meditation. Ideally, you know, engaging in intentional non-thinking in order to transcend the mind. Movement of any kind, you got to get those endorphins. You got to kick that dopamine system in the go mode. You need to move your legs, move your body, get your heart pumping. That is the strongest behavioral antidepressant you can engage in is movement of any kind, but make it easy. Make it easy. On your best day, that movement might look like going for a run, riding your bike, doing a nice 45-minute yoga session, and on your not-so-good days, that might look like 5 to 10 minutes of gentle stretching, some downward dog and some child's pose. Another antidepressant, behavioral antidepressant, is perspective. Being able to engage with people that you love, people that you respect, people that want the best for you, and inquiring as to their perspective on the situation. The other thing we want to do is not need to reconcile and rationalize and hypothesize all of your emotions. It takes roughly, on average, apparently, 90 seconds for an emotion to pass if we allow it to, if we don't fight it. If you look at your emotion as something pouring down on a river stream, if you just watch that emotion go by without judging it, without attaching to it, then it will go by. But when we try and reconcile our emotions and rationalize what we're feeling, we put a dam in that river. And instead of floating on by, all of that sadness or anger or jealousy just accumulates. Melancholic water swirling around without any clear direction to go, but you just got to let it pass. Feel it, accept it, say, oh, it appears as if I may be experiencing some sadness. There's a manifestation of melancholy in this vessel I call me. If you do your best, you're going to increase your chances of feeling good. Your baseline is going to change. And if you do your best relative to wherever your baseline is, then you have nothing to worry about. But use these behavioral antidepressants when you can. APURV asks, if life is an answer, not a question, then what to you is the one big question? Everything. Everything is a question because we're talking about the not knowing mind. To have an answer is to have certainty. 
when I say that, you know, you ask what the meaning of life is and I say life is the answer, not the question. The meaning of life, if we are to give it one, is to come into existence, is to be alive. And there are a lot of people that die while they're still alive. And that's people that have certainty. That's people that have decided that they're done being curious. They're done expanding their perspective. What they know is all they want to know and they're happy staying where they are. The experience uncovers the rest of the questions. It's a constant question. The whole thing is a question. Question every day. If you are always curious, then you will always be expanding your perspective. And the greater your perspective, the more you realize you don't know. And that's what the imposter syndrome is as well. The imposter syndrome is just you knowing enough to know how much more there is to know. And that puts you in a a humble state of receptivity and growth. And people recognize that. People see that you are willing and able and enthusiastic to learn and grow, and they will foster that. They will help guide you. But you must remember that even the guides, they don't know either. The true ones don't. If you ever come across a self-professed guru that says they have all of the answers and all you got to do is pay for their course, newsflash, gurus won't make you calm. Teachers won't make you smart. Personal trainer won't make you thin. You must save yourself. A lucky pearl asks, sometimes I don't feel like I'm real. How can I use that to my advantage? Well, you can use that to jumpstart a manifestation process, my friend. We are more than our physical bodies. I don't make the rules. We are more than our physical bodies and our Transcendence of that physical body allows us to travel to realms beyond where our feet are, be able to conjure scenes of our dreams, envision a life beyond what we are experiencing in the moment. And if we can use that to truly feel that, then we feel it in the now, which creates the future that we want to transition into, which will also happen in the now. Sometimes I don't feel like I'm real. Are you? Am I? What is real? Um, That's another concept of certainty. For me to say what is and isn't real, I can have a stab in the dark, but that's all it'll be. You can use that to your advantage by using it to adopt a position of neutrality and openness. If you are not real, then you can do what you want, right? And you can do what you want. If you are not real, then why care about anybody's opinions except for your own? If you are not real, then why follow anybody else's dreams except for your own? If you are not real, then this is a dream. And if this is a dream, then do what you want. I think it's a very powerful, very powerful position to adopt. A lucky pearl also asks, how many times have you fallen in love? Every day. Every day I fall in love with the sunshine, with the wind, with the feeling of sand on my feet, with the sound of music. I fall in love with the people around me, the people I love, because each day they're a different person and it gives me an opportunity to fall in love with them all over again. I fall in love with myself whenever I have a moment of transcendence, an epiphany, a recognition of a pattern that's been guiding subconscious behaviors I fall in love with this universe, everything that's within it, everything that is within me. I am the space in which it all occurs, and love is always occurring if we are open to it. It's a beautiful question. Sarah Jamo asks, 
help me with toxic positivity. When I try to be powerful and responsible for my life, question mark. Hmm. I'm not quite sure what you are asking here. But I think that you are saying that you are trying to be powerful and responsible for your life. And that includes being positive, looking at the upside, seeing the silver lining in the sea of gray slate. And there may be people around you that are not responding to that positivity because they're not receptive. And because of that, they label it toxic positivity because they probably saw an Instagram post about it sometime and that labels it and it gives them a level of certainty that excludes your perspective and, and view of the world. And you are never going to save them. You cannot be responsible for them. You ultimately must save yourself. And actions speak louder than words. If you can embody your philosophy instead of talking about it, then they'll see, oh my goodness, Sarah is a well-rounded individual. How does she breeze through life like this? Why do opportunities just seem to come to her? Why does she always have a smile on her face? She must have toxic positivity. No. Disregard that. There's, there is toxic positivity, and that is you know, the repetition of a positive narrative that does not include or acknowledge the difficulty of situations that people are going through. It doesn't acknowledge how they're feeling. And sometimes, many times in those instances, it's best to ask if that person wants comfort or a solution. A lot of the time it's just comfort that is the solution when somebody's feeling down when somebody's residing in a negative narrative sometimes they just want that comfort but of course there comes a time where you've given comfort and sometimes that person needs a, a nudge sorry i just had things falling off my desk mt swak says we program unconsciousness with consciousness and then experience it like a movie director yep basically our inner talking creates our inner monologue. The inner monologue shapes our view of the world. The quality of our life comes down to the quality of our thoughts. Marcus Aurelius. We can use the gift of consciousness to manually install software that benefits us rather than hinders us. We can really look at it however we want to look at it. This is the subjectivity of our world that I was talking about. And that comes from not knowing. If you know, then you cannot install software, right? It's been installed for you. Did you come to this knowledge through your own conclusions, through your own searchings, through your own seekings, or was it told to you? Was it handed to you on a silver platter and they say, there is your belief, go forth into the world and spread it, or don't. In the not knowing mind, in the beginner's mind, it is a mind that is fertile for open ground and that allows you to plant seeds that you want to plant, seeds that you would like to bear fruit, fruit that you like to eat. It really is a movie. And that's what meditation does, is it allows you to step back just far enough from that movie to realize that there is a movie. And you are the director, you are the player and the creator of this game. Isn't that special? I think it's special. Now I think that wraps up today's episode. Thank you for being here with me. Thank you for indulging my curiosity and hopefully expanding yours. I will see you next week. Much love.